Good afternoon, everybody. It's Saturday, middle of the weekend. NFL action coming up tomorrow. This is the Doctor Football Podcast. We are here to look at week eight of the NFL, which is hard to believe because it feels like the season just started, but we're actually well into the NFL calendar. We got all that coming up tomorrow, of course. And uh, before we even get into that, I want to take a look back to Thursday night because that was probably about as boring a game as you'll see in the NFL. But there were still a few things that that are worth discussing. The Vikings look like they're emerging as one of the best teams in the NFC North, but they got the Packers to deal with. Um, the, one of the real questions we're going to see this year is, is Kirk Cousins turning over a new leaf? Is this a new Kirk Cousins? And I don't think we really get much evidence for that um, last night because the Reds a really bad team and we all know that Kirk Cousins beats bad team that's what he does he beats bad teams and last night he beat a bad team and it wasn't a really impressive offensive performance but he did complete 23 of 26 passes which which is which is impressive at any NFL opponent but overall 19 points on offense nothing special a couple quick takes on the game because it wasn't a great game but there are a couple things I want to bring up you know Dwayne Paxton or or Dwayne Locker, or, or Dwayne Jamarcus Russell, or whatever you want to call him. It just doesn't look like Dwayne Haskins is really a good NFL quarterback. And if this was 12 years ago, I'd probably be less willing to pass judgment on him because, let's face it, it took quarterbacks longer to develop and play 12 years ago than it does now. But when I look around the league, I see Kyler Murray, and I see Daniel Jones, and I see... Josh Allen, and I see Kyle Allen, and I see young quarterbacks across the league coming into the league and winning games and playing, and maybe they don't look great. You know, Daniel Jones has made his share of mistakes, but he's at least out there, and he's at least viable, and he's showing you some flashes that, yes, this guy can play NFL football. But when I look at Haskins, you see none of that. And last night, you had a game that was a 16-9 to game in the third quarter, and the Redskins had just gotten the ball back after the Redskins made, I mean, the Vikings made what, what I can only describe as a boneheaded, stupid decision to go for it on fourth and one from their own 35. Really gave the, the Redskins a chance to get back into that game. And it was only a seven-point game at that point. But Dwayne Haskins screwed it up because he missed through a wide-open receiver, Terry McLaren, wide open over the middle, overthrows him, leads to a pick literally two plays later, and that was pretty much game over at that point. Vikings bled the clock, kicked another field goal, bled the clock some more, and the Redskins never had a prayer. I don't know what Haskins is going to be in his NFL career, and I think you have to put a little bit of stock in the early returns in 2019. You might not have done that 15 years ago or 10 years ago, but you got to do it now. But let the guy go out there and fail. What do you got to lose? You're 1-7. You're in seven. You stink. You're at the dregs of the league, the bottom of the league. Who are you going to play? Case Keenum so you can win two or three games the rest of the year? What's that going to do for the Redskins franchise long term? It's going to do nothing. It's going to do nothing. Play Colt McCoy. You know what Colt McCoy is. He's a career backup. You don't know. You don't, you're not going to win anything with Case Keenum or Colt McCoy as your quarterback. If you want to be a, a playoff caliber team, if you want to rebuild that franchise, then you need a franchise quarterback. And Haskins is the man that you made a big investment in. Now, he doesn't look like it yet, but let him go out there. If he stinks, 
if he fails, if he shows you nothing, and you're at the top of the draft again next year, well, maybe you pull an Arizona Cardinals and you just get rid of the guy and you bring in the guy you really like. Because that looks like it's working out for Arizona, doesn't it? Uh, Josh Rosen looks like a total dud. Can't even play in Miami. And Kyler Murray's won three in a row and looked damn good doing it. So I'd say the Redskins are having, and the Cardinals are having the last laugh on that. So let Haskins go out there and let him show you what he has. Let him flop. If he has to flop, let him flop. If he can't go in there, and yeah, he's not going to be Peyton Manning in 2012. We all know that. But but let him show you what he can do. And if he can show you a few flashes, a la Daniel Jones, a la Sam Darnold last year, even if you lose a lot of games, if he gives you some hope, then you stick with him. If he looks like Josh Rosen, or he looks like Jamarcus Russell, or Paxton Lynch, or Jake Locker, maybe maybe you're compelled to get rid of the guy after one year. Maybe you say, geez, we like Justin Herbert. We like, we like Tua Tagliavoa. We like some other guy that we don't even know of yet. And we take him, Jalen Hurts, maybe something like that. But just keeping the guy on the bench because he's not ready yet, it's not going to do anything for your franchise. It's not going to answer any of your questions. And what it's going to do is it's going to delay the inevitable. If Haskins looks as bad, if Haskins is as bad as he looks like he is over the first few weeks of the season, if he is as bad as it seems, then what good does it do to, to sit him up on the bench and drag this out over three seasons? Just get to it. Put him out there. See what he shows you. If he can't play now even a little bit, he's probably not going to be able to You know, but the only quarterback that I can think of who really looked awful in their first year and then really turned around was Jared Goff. So, you know, maybe maybe Haskins flops this year and then becomes like a Goff next year. I, I don't know. But but I don't think there's anything to be gained from, from, from protecting him. If, he, if he's a dud, let him be a dud and, and get it over with. Just get it over with before it gets dragged out and it just holds that franchise hostage for three, four years. I mean, I said it for years. I mean, if I'm the Chicago Bears, I've never had a franchise quarterback. I'm the, if I'm the, um, if I, if I'm the Jets or the Dolphins that just can't find a quarterback, I'm drafting like three quarterbacks a year. I mean, I'm drafting quarterback, you know, as much as I can. Every guy that I, I think I have a shred of confidence or hope could play in the NFL, I'm drafting him. Let them, let them duke it out in training camp. I'm not gonna pick one guy up. And then and put my franchise in his hands for three or four years because the success rate, the hit rate isn't high enough. And you never know where these guys come from. Look at Gardner Minshew coming out of nowhere. You, you name the 12 best quarterbacks in the league right now. You got everyone from guys that are drafted in the top three to guys that were drafted at the end of the draft. So I'm just pulling guys until I find someone that can play for me. And, and, I, I, and I'm getting aggressive with it. And that's what the Redskins need. They need to get aggressive. It's the only way that franchise ever gets fixed is if they get a good quarterback. To get a franchise quarterback, that's it. So stop wasting time and just get it over with. And if you have to fail a little on the way, and if you kiss a few frogs on the way, so be it. So be it, because what are you doing anyways? You're doing nothing. You're, you're mediocre in your good years, if you're the Redskins. I want to take it over to New England now, where the complete opposite end of the quarterback universe, Tom Brady um, played last Thursday night against the Giants, and I'm not sure what Adam Schefter had, if he had any information or if he just wanted to kind of kindle a little conversation because he was on national television and we needed something to talk about for a relatively blah NFL game last Thursday night between the Patriots and the Giants. But he really kind of, or, or last Monday night between the Patriots and the Jets, but he really kind of kindled 
a lot of speculation about Brady's future that just kind of came out of nowhere because I don't think anything's really changed um, since since the summer when they agreed to a contract. But I want to say a few things about this because, first of all, Tom Brady's not going anywhere else. He's either going to retire this year, and I agree with everyone that's saying he's putting out hints. He's putting out hints. There's no question about it. This could be his last year. This could be his last year. And as a Patriots fan, I say, so be it. So be it. He's been with us for 20 years. He's the best. He's unbelievable. It's been an amazing run. It's been two decades long. If Brady feels like this is it at 42 years old, I am 100% okay with that. And I'm not going to worry about that one bit because we're 7-0. and Because they're 7-0 and and because they have a great chance to make the Super Bowl again. What happens in February and March is going to happen. Our 42-year-old quarterback, this shouldn't be a news bulletin. This is not a news bulletin. Our 42-year-old quarterback might retire. He might have retired last year. He might have retired the year before. He might be getting old. The game might be wearing on him a little bit. But anyone that thinks he's going to go at 43 years old and, and try it over a couple million bucks, go to Chicago or go to Nashville or go to, I don't know, wherever, Houston. I mean, get real. Why would he do that? It's just so far-fetched. It's so it's ridiculous is what it is. He's not going to do that over some, some some fantasy imaginary vendetta that you guys have concocted, the media has concocted between Brady and Belichick and Kraft and this imaginary vendetta and every little tidbit of morsel of information that we can use our imaginations to construct some fantasy land scenario where Brady and Belichick and Kraft have some, some adversarial relationship. It's absurd. They've been together for 20 years. Of course there's some tension between the three of them. That's called life. There's no relationship anywhere that doesn't have some negativity to it. I mean, that's a part of life. But don't tell me Brady's got a hair across his ass and he wants to go play for the Tennessee Titans or the Chicago Bears next year at 43 years old. That's ridiculous. If Brady doesn't play in New England next year, he's going to retire. If Brady can still play at a Super Bowl level, the Patriots will want him back because in case you haven't noticed, they don't have much of a succession plan. I mean, Jared Stidham looked okay in the preseason. He, he's, he's a promising guy for a fourth-round pick. It's hardly, hardly a guarantee that he's going to be a good player. And, and they don't really have a lot of draft capital coming up. I mean, they got some late-round picks, but they don't have the kind of capital where they can move up into the top five or top ten, I think, and, and get something back. So if Brady can play and he wants to play, he's going to play in New England. And they're going to figure it out, just like they do every year. And if Brady says, I can't do this anymore – then you know what? He's going to retire. He's not going to go elsewhere. I mean, are people that desperate for scandal that we have to just make it up out of thin air? Like like it's some sort of surprise that our 42-year-old quarterback is getting weary and getting old and might be and might be thinking about that he can't take the pounding of the NFL anymore, even in this modern NFL with so much better rules and, and the quarterbacks hardly get hit and it's so easy to play quarterback now compared to 20 years ago. But even then, it's going to wear on him eventually. And that's probably what's happening. So if the guy retires this year, so be it. I'm enjoying this year, just like I enjoyed last year, just like I enjoyed the year before. When they start with this Brady, Belichick, Kraft nonsense on the local sports media, you know what I do? I turn off the radio. I put on Sirius XM or I put on a podcast. I can't take it. I don't care. It's been 20 years. If they get mad at each other and walk away after 20 years, I mean, what are you going to say? 
what are you going to say? Nothing. This has gone on way longer than anyone ever thought it would. I'm not going to be obsessed or, or fixate on the end. I don't care. It's going to end. It, it should have ended 10 years ago. Or on bonus time. Or on triple bonus time. So let's just enjoy the season while we have it. And let's worry about Brady's future. I mean, maybe a healthy bit of speculation. Okay. But the outright obsession, the outright fixation, it's just, it really takes away from the enjoyment of a 7-0 and team that has a great chance to win a Super Bowl this year. You know what's great, though, about rooting for the Patriots? What's great about rooting for the Patriots is that it means more than just rooting for laundry. Being a Patriots fan in the New England Patriots means something. The Patriot way is real. But it's not what people think it is. It's not we're such great guys. We're choir boys and we're good citizens. That's not what the Patriot way is. And it never was that. It's about a group of guys that play the game a certain way. That play the game right. And that's what it makes that's what makes rooting for this team so awesome. Because you see a team that's built on toughness, intelligence, character, resiliency. All these traits that are admirable traits are traits people can identify with. And that people try to bring in their own life and instill in their children and, and live their life with those things. To be prepared and resilient and smart and hardworking and dedicated and professional. Those are such great things to root for. It's great to root for the Patriots because that's generally how they carry themselves. But sometimes they get away from that just like anyone else because it's all about having talent too. And, and sometimes to bring in talent, the Patriots have brought in guys that are less about the Patriot way. And they did it twice in the last year because they were desperate. They brought in Josh Gordon and they brought in Michael Bennett. And it's so liberating to me as a Patriots fan to not only have both these guys gone this week, but to have both of them gone and to have me feel like, you know what, we're really not losing much because we're not. Josh Gordon, you know what his biggest problem was? I mean, substance abuse, I give the guy a ton of credit. He's battling his issues. Don't tell me we doesn't doesn't make it people perform less good because it does even when they're not actively using it, it affects their performance and if you're using marijuana regularly it's affecting your brain and it's affecting your psyche and you're and, you, and i wouldn't want to pay someone 10 million dollars a year if i knew they were smoking weed three four five six times a week because that person's not going to perform well that's what our science is showing us but i give the guy credit because he's overcoming his demons gordon on a personal level good for him but his biggest problem right now in 2019 is that he's not that good of a player. The Josh Gordon of 2013 was a freak talent. The Josh Gordon of 2019 is a lot slower, a lot less agile, a little heavier. And he really can't do the same things on the field now that he used to. I guarantee you, if the Josh Gordon of 2013 was playing for the Patriots, he would not have got cut. At the end of the day, the Patriots stuck with Gordon through thick and thin. And they gave him a second chance and a third chance to come back and be a player. The reason why it didn't work out here, almost to Gordon's credit, is not because of his off-the-field stuff, but it is because he's just not that good. And they jettisoned him. And it feels great because I don't have to worry about disordered Damocles hanging over this franchise. What happens if Gordon gets suspended again? What happens if Gordon gets suspended again? Well, you know what? We got Mohamed Sanu. Jacoby Myers looks like he's he's pretty damn good. He looks like he's going to be at least able to play, be that third or fourth receiver. Dorsett's playing better. Edelman's healthy. 
They don't really need Gordon. They don't have to be beholden to this guy anymore. And it feels great. It feels great. And the same thing with Michael Bennett. What this defense has done, they've done with hardly anything, anything for Michael Bennett in terms of contribution. Michael Bennett has given nothing to them. And Michael Bennett was bringing nothing to the table for them. He's a deadbeat and a leech. And, and just the kind of guy that's going to cause nothing but disruption in your locker room. Glad he's gone. I'm glad he's gone. You know, we make these deals. We make these deals with these guys who aren't Patriot guys, who, who really aren't Patriot way kind of players. And we get back in return, you know, all that uncertainty that comes with that. Well, you know what? We're a better team without Michael Bennett. We're a better team without Josh Gordon. And we don't have to worry about what these guys are going to say next, what they're going to do next. You know, if you heard Michael Bennett's embarrassing press conference yesterday, we took no responsibility for getting suspended. No one should be surprised that he got pushed out the door after having a conference like that. That was that was shameful. And, hey, it's a free country, like Bennett said. And he can say and do whatever he wants. But if you want to buy into what the Patriots are all about and what the Patriot way is, then you can't. And it was very obvious that Bennett was not buying it. So you know what? He's gone. Dallas is a good team. He'll fit in well there. He'll probably do okay. A couple things around the league this week. A couple games coming up on Sunday. You know, I'm not a fan of Baker Mayfield or the Browns. I mean, I think that team isn't necessarily well built. And I think we tend to overvalue skill position talent, which is why we always think teams like the Browns are going to be better than they actually are. But the Patriots really have not played great competition in accumulating a 7-0 record. And, I mean, I think we all know their defense is great. But the question is, is is this truly a generational defense? And that's what we're going to see now over the next six weeks because they have Cleveland, Houston, Dallas, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and it looks like Mahomes will be back, and Baltimore in the next six games. So this is the biggest test this defense has faced it faced so far, which is kind of ironic because the team really isn't that good. I mean, they're two and four. And I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland does look a little better, just a little better than some of the other teams have that have faced the Patriots. I'm very, Patriots, I'm very curious to see, is this going to be more outright domination? You know, three turnovers, you know, um, nine of, of, 9% third down conversion. Is it going to be more of that? Or is this going to be, you know, maybe a little bit less one-sided now that you have a team that has legitimate skill position players, a couple good receivers? And I will say, this back Chubbs, he's excellent. He's an excellent back. And if Freddie Kitchens is smart enough to give him the ball, he'll make an impact in the game on Sunday. I want to go to San Francisco you know, the Niners are undefeated as well, and, and they've been excellent. I'm, I'm not trying to discredit them, but I think this is a great spot for Carolina to challenge them. They're, they're a six-point underdog going to San Francisco this week. You know, San Francisco hasn't really played a great schedule yet either, and in a couple of their games, they really haven't looked great on offense. Carolina's defense is playing quite well. I, I have a feeling Carolina makes this game close. Now, San Francisco might still win, but I like the San Francisco 49ers with a six. You know, I just can't get over how great the Saints have been since Drew Brees went down. And it doesn't look like he's going to play again this week, though I don't think they've made an official decision on that yet. I keep 
picking against the Saints, and they keep making me look stupid. You'd think they would have won me over at this point, but there is one difference this week against Arizona than some of the other weeks that they've played, um, some of the teams they've played, and that is that Kyler Murray's playing really good. And I feel like Kyler Murray's going to be able to move the ball and put some points on the board. Now, with that defense, they're going to turn the, they're going to get a couple turnovers, I bet. And on offense, they're going to run the ball down Arizona's throat. But I think just based on what Kyler Murray's doing alone, and if you haven't noticed yet, pay attention. Because this guy, I don't know if he's going to be the next great quarterback, but he's certainly not a flop like Josh Rosen was last year. And he's moving the ball, and he's putting points. So if you're going to give me 10.5 points, New Orleans' strength is not their offense. The Arizona Cardinals can move the ball and score points. I mean, this could be a one-sided game, but you can still sneak in and get a backdoor cover. I like the Arizona Cardinals with 10.5 against New Orleans. I keep getting burned going against the Saints, and and I still haven't learned my lesson yet because I'm going to do it one more time this week. You know, the Patriots trade for Mohamed Sanu wasn't the only trade this week in the NFL. Emmanuel Sanders actually went to to the 49ers from Denver for, for a very modest price. But remember, he's got a big cap hit, too. So I think that did affect his value on the market. But after you saw Denver last week on Thursday night against the Chiefs, and that team just looked apathetic. They're 2-5 and five now. I mean, Joe Flacco just looked like he didn't give a crap. I mean, he was slow. He was not energetic. I'm not saying they put him in a great position to win that game, but it just felt like Flacco could have brought more to the table. I mean, they got sacked nine times, and there were just times where you got the sense that if he really gave a crap, he could have got rid of the ball, he could have done something, but he really didn't. And and I think that's kind of where that whole franchise is right now. They're 2-5. and five. They're in very apparent that they're in rebuilding mode. And I would say not in a good way because – a team like Arizona is in rebuilding mode, and they have hope. A team like the Giants is in rebuilding mode, and they have hope because they have their quarterback, and maybe they have their coach. A team like Denver is still very much lost right now. The GM, the coach, and the quarterback all in flux, and I don't think they got the guy. You can say say Drew, Drew Locke isn't ready yet, but I say throw him in there because Joe Flacco's taking you nowhere. And it's the same thing. You want to see what you can get from this kid over the last nine weeks. But, you know, they're going to Indianapolis. Indianapolis is red hot. They've come up two wins. They're good at home. Uh, Denver just looks apathetic, and they look like they're mailing it in. So I'd like Indianapolis to really win this game very one-sided. I'll take the Colts um, favored by six and a half points. Uh, Seahawks are going to Atlanta this week to play the Falcons. I don't really have a strong feeling either way about this game, but I don't have it in front of me right now. But I went through Atlanta's upcoming schedule, and they got Seattle, they got the Panthers, they got um, the Niners, the Ra- I think they got they got um, the Saints coming up. They got a tough schedule. So the Dan Quinn watch is on. They just traded one of their better players to New England. Matt Ryan's got a bad ankle. He might or might not play. Um, if the Falcons get embarrassed this week at home, I think you're going to see the heat really turn up. I don't think Dan Quinn will make it through the regular season. If you look at that schedule, that team's going to be 1-10 or one or 2-11 at one point, and I think you're going to see them get rid of him. But if there's any hope for him to keep his job, Atlanta's going to have to come up big against the Seattle Seahawks this week. I don't think that's going to happen. Seattle had a tough loss, an embarrassing loss last week, and I think Seattle's Achilles heel. They can't stop the run. They're, they're small and light up front. 
I don't think Atlanta's really got the strength in that area to make them pay for that. So I, I think the Seahawks, Seahawks should do well, and I think the Dan Quinn watch will officially be on starting this week, if it's not already on, after a tough loss at home to the Hawks. Well, we're pretty much wrapping up right now. That's all I want to talk about. I, I have one more thing I want to say. And if you watch the game on Thursday night, you know, there's that famous Marv Levy clip from NFL Films where he calls a referee an over-officious jerk, I think is the term he uses. And I'm thinking of that a lot this year because these games have become unwatchable. There are too many penalties. Every time a player breaks the letter of the law, do you have to throw that flag? Anyone that watched that game on Thursday night, you'd have to question if one of the referees had had, had bet the Redskins with 17 points. I had no stake in the game or anything like that. I had no pick. But every time Minnesota looked like they were going to to score at the end of that game and put themselves in position to, to cement the game away and potentially cover that spread, a flag came up. And it was always ticky-tack. Always ticky-tack. These referees are throwing too many flags. Keep them in your pocket. The game is becoming unwatchable. Between this and it looks like coaches have gotten the message on the ridiculousness of the pass interference challenge. Um, there are really not many of those being done right now. It seems like it's going down, and that's a good thing. But I think coaches are getting the message on that. So I hope the NFL will eliminate that rule this offseason. I hope they get rid of it. But but they got to stop throwing so many penalties. you got it. It's, it's absurd. It's, it's getting out of hand. All right, well, that's all the time we have. It's all the time I'm going to take. I want to thank anyone that might have listened. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games uh, tomorrow, and I will be back on Monday or Tuesday with another episode. Take care. Bye-bye.